We're ready to go. I think we are. Uh, can I introduce you and make a pitch for money? That would be, be a good thing. Okay, here we go, here we go. Uh, thanks for coming along on this holiday weekend. A lot of people are gone. Uh, let's pray and then we'll just chatter just a little bit. So Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Amen. Amen. Uh, the basket will go to LBT today. So Luke, the Bible translator. So it's nice to have the Burmeisters here. You know, Jonathan's been here a long time and has been back and forth, but now he's been with us a little bit longer this time, and that's been great. Um, and this will be fun, not just from Lutheran Bible translators' perspective, but kind of historical perspective, too. So thanks for coming along with Pentecost. And it fits the day. So, Jonathan, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. And your lovely wife as well. That's how we say good morning in the Ani language. <laughs> Gentlemen, good morning. Ladies, good morning. Thank you for all your help in the past, and I'm very glad and thankful that you're here this morning. We're going to give a whirlwind tour. You know, that was Holy Spirit Day. He came with a big rush of wind. We're going to have a whirlwind tour to cover almost 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit's mission work throughout the world, in particular Bible translation, which is very close to his heart, I think, because he wants the Bible, God's Word, to be spread to every nation, every language. So you ready? Here we go. A few days before his crucifixion, Jesus told the disciples the temple was going to be destroyed, that magnificent temple built by King Herod. And the disciples were all upset. They got together with him on the Mount of Olives and said, what is this going to happen? This must be the end of the world. He said, no, there's going to be lots of earthquakes, wars, famines, false prophets for a long time. But he said one thing very interesting. He said, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, the end hasn't come yet. I think we've still got work to do to get the proclamation of the good news to all of the world. And then after the resurrection on the mountain in Galilee, he gave them the commissions. He said, now you guys are going to go do it, the proclaiming. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to, observe, to obey everything that I have commanded you. That means giving them the Bible, making disciples and teaching them everything. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then on the, well, when he said all the nations, by the way, in Greek that's pantata ethne. Ethne is where we get our word uh, ethnic group. It means all the people groups united by kinship, culture, and language. At minimum, all the languages of the world. This is a tremendous vision Jesus had to reach the whole world. Now, the disciples must have been a little astounded. How are they going to do that? And on the ascent, at the moment of the ascension, he gave them this promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and as far as the end of the earth. And the promise was fulfilled a few days later. We celebrate today the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came with a rush of wind, fire above their heads, and speaking, they began speaking in other languages. The Spirit gave them ability. Luke tells us now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That was a little exaggeration. It was the Mediterranean world. In the east, the Parthian Empire, all to the east of Jerusalem, 
The trade language at that time was Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic in Galilee. To the north and to the west was the Roman Empire. Uh, even though they spoke Latin in Rome, the major international language was Greek at that time. Our Lord Jesus most likely spoke all three of those languages. As a little boy in Nazareth, growing up in the synagogue, he would have learned how to read and write in Hebrew. And he came back, you know, in his ministry to Nazareth and read from the scroll of Isaiah. This is a copy from the Dead Sea Scrolls of the, the only entire book we have a copy of Isaiah written about or copied about 100 to 200 years before Jesus. Jesus also spoke Aramaic. That was the major everyday language in Galilee at the time. And uh, one of the early translations of the Bible, the Old Testament, was into Aramaic. This is from a Targum, which means a translation into Aramaic. They have one line in Hebrew and underneath it a line in Aramaic. When uh, they came back from the exile from Babylon, that's what the language they were speaking, Aramaic. And Ezra and the others had to interpret the Hebrew. Many of them lost their Hebrew a little bit. Even though they're closely related languages, they needed help from Aramaic. The mother translation of all translations, though, was the Greek translation, done about a couple hundred years before Jesus in Alexandria, Egypt. According to the uh, story, 70 rabbis got together in Alexandria and translated the whole Old Testament in 70 days. At any rate, that was the translation of the Old Testament that the New Testament writers quoted and used in their evangelization throughout the Greek-speaking world. Of course, they added the New Testament, and one of the oldest copies of the entire Bible, Old and New Testament in Greek, is this Codex Vaticanus, found in the Vatican, as you can guess. And uh, this Greek version has served the, the church for, for a number of centuries and still the major uh, work for the Eastern Orthodox churches. In the Aramaic dialects, uh, one of the early translations of the Bible a couple hundred years after Jesus was the Syriac Peshitta. This is the Bible used in Antioch and Edessa up in Syria and uh, used right down to the day, even though it's not understood very well anymore. There are about five dialects of Aramaic still spoken in the world today in Syria and uh, Iraq. However, most of the Christians in those countries were persecuted and they're now living in Chicago and Detroit. And Wycliffe is translating the Bible in all those five dialects one of them is one of my Lutheran Bible translator colleagues, Jim Kaiser, over in Detroit. He's working on the Old Testament in Chaldean Aramaic. So the language of Jesus, he spoke the Galilee dialect. He wouldn't understand it today because it's changed over the years, but Aramaic is still spoken in the world today. The oldest translation in Africa was the Egyptian Coptic language. That's the ancient language of the Egyptians. Several dialects were translated. When the Arabs took over in around the year 600-something, they took over all of North Africa and wiped out Christianity, except for the Coptic Christians in Egypt, because they had their Bible and their liturgy to this day. One of the first missionary linguist translators in world history that we know about was Uphilas. He was uh, half Greek and half Visigoth. And uh, he became a Bible scholar in Constantinople. He invented an alphabet to reach this Germanic tribe located up in what we would call uh, Romania today and uh, translated the Bible. One of the Visigoth kings made a special edition on purple vellum, that's sheepskin, with gold and silver letters. And the copy of this Codex Argentus is found in the University of Uppsala, Sweden today. By the way, the Visigoths are the guys who took over Rome 
Many of them were Aryan Christians. Another Greek scholar, Mesrop, invented the Armenian alphabet, also a couple other alphabets of the Caucasus areas of Russia. The most famous ancient translation, however, was that of uh, Jerome. Let me move it down a little bit here. It's a long name. <laughs> Sophronius Eusebius Hieronymus, better known as Jerome. He made the, the, the standard... Latin translation called the Vulgate, which served right up to the Reformation, even today, it's the official language of the Vatican. He, f- he finished the Old Testament while he was living in a cave in Bethlehem, near the place where Jesus was born. Two Greek scholars from Thessalonica, Cyril and Methodius, were linguist missionaries. They also invented an alphabet to help translate the Slavonic uh, Bible. This alphabet was later adapted for the Russian languages in honor of St. Cyril. It's called the Cyrillic Alphabet. The communists in Russia used that alphabet to write down 210 different languages in the Soviet Empire. And, of course, our English language, our mission is named after John Wycliffe, the great pioneer of the Reformation in England. He and his friend John Purvey translated the whole Bible from Latin around 1380s. He trained preachers to go out and read it to the people because they were forced by the church to only use Latin, and most people didn't understand Latin. All the Bibles up until that time were handwritten and very expensive until Johann Gutenberg came along and invented the printing press. That technology was extremely important for the Reformation. Martin Luther was one of the first to make good use of it. And uh, he translated the New Testament while he was in hiding in the Wartburg Castle. For, in just a few months, he did the first draft of the whole New Testament because he knew the Greek very well. He got a little help on the Old Testament from several of his friends. Philip Melanchthon was a specialist on the Greek Old Testament. Uh, Johannes Bugenhagen, a specialist of the Latin Bible, and uh, Kaspar Kritziger was an expert on the Hebrew. And together they finished the whole Bible. Martin Luther did an outstanding job of translation. He not only translated the real meaning and not just the literal word for word, he went out and tested his translation with hundreds and hundreds of ordinary people to make it clear. And in the process, he established the high German dialect that's the official German language today. There's still many German dialects, but his translation established the official German language. In English, William Tyndale was the first to translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew. For his pains, he was burned at the stake, because the British authorities didn't like to have anything but Latin at that time. His last words were, oh, that God would open the eyes of the king of England. And a few years later, one of the kings of England gave the okay to use the English translations. And uh, 400 years ago last year, we got the King James Bible, mostly based on uh, Tyndale's translation, by the way. Uh, I, I can't give you all the history of Bible translation, all the heroes, but I want to tell you, here's a Lutheran translator. Actually, he was a Roman Catholic monk in Spain, Casiodora de Reina. He became a Lutheran, translated the Bible into Spanish. Another fellow, a little later, a revised it, Valera, the Reina Valera Bible is the equivalent of our King James Bible, all Spanish people like the old Reina Valera Bible. One of my greatest heroes was Cambridge scholar from England, John Eliot. He heard a Macedonian call of American Indians in the Boston area, the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They even put the Indian on their seal. It says, come over and help us. He did. He learned this Algonquin dialect called Wapanoag. He translated the entire Bible. He organized a dozen Indian Christian villages and trained preachers. Tremendous ministry. 
He brought over a printing press, printed the first Bible printed in the Americas in an Indian language, not in English. That pres- uh, printing press became the first printing press of Harvard University. Two more Lutherans that went off to India. Siegenbog and Fabricius went to uh, Trenkobar and uh, the Tamil language, and they did Bible translation there. Our, our vicar Adam is thinking about maybe going and teaching at the Lutheran seminary there, right at the southern tip of India in the Tamil Nadu area. Of course, the famous translator in India was William Carey, a British shoemaker who had a gift for languages. He started translations in over 20 languages in India and finished 12 of them himself. In China, Robert Morrison, another British scholar, went and trained Chinese Mandarin, uh, first Bible in China. The first American Bible translator, Adoniram Judson, a Baptist, went off to Burma. He was severely tortured by the, king, the Buddhist king of Burma, but he survived and translated the Bible and started churches in Burma. I'm working with some Burmese, a Burmese church right here in, in Wheaton that have just got the Bible in their language. They need a little tweaking of their translation. In Africa, Samuel Crowther was captured as a slave. He was his slave ship was intercepted by the British. He was freed and dropped off in Freetown, Sierra Leone. He was trained to be a pastor, sent to England, became a bishop, sent back to Nigeria. And he and his friends translated the Bible into Yoruba, the second biggest language of Nigeria. He was a native translator doing the work. I had the privilege of meeting Frank Laubach when he was 80 years old in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He came to speak at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, where I was a student. He was not a Bible translator, but the great pioneer of Christian literacy. He started literacy work in the Philippines, started literacy programs around the world in 126 languages. And uh, I interviewed him for our campus newspaper. I was a religion editor. And after the interview, he pulled out a little notebook from his vest pocket and said, I want to write your name down. I said, what for? He said, I'm going to pray for you that you become a missionary. I met many times the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators, William Cameron Townsend. We call him Uncle Cam. At age 17, he went off to Guatemala to sell Spanish Bibles. He found most of the people there were Indians who didn't speak Spanish, so he learned the Cachical language, one of the 30 or 40 languages of Guatemala. And he got the vision to reach other tribal groups that had no writing, no books. Uh, Indian languages are some of the most difficult in the world. And so he founded a summer school in Arkansas called the Summer Institute of Linguistics, Camp Wycliffe, to train missionaries to go and attack all of these difficult languages. One of his uh, top students in the third session was Eugene Nida, who became the head of translation for the United Bible Society. The Bible societies do have the biggest Bible translation operation in the world in some 100 countries. They work with all the majority languages in languages where there are established Christian churches, all the big languages. Wycliffe complements their work. We work together in what's called the Forum of Translation Agencies. Wycliffe and uh, LBT, we work in the minority languages, the ones that aren't written, and that we have to send linguists in to get started. The founder of LBT was Lois and uh, Morris and Lois Watkins. They were missionaries for the Missouri Synod in Nigeria. Unfortunately, their daughter died of a tropical disease. They came back home and started a mission and also All Nations Literacy Movement. One of the first board members of LBT was Otto Hinsey. He later became the, he was a missionary in Papua New Guinea, did Bible translation in the Enga Highlands. Uh, he came to study at the seminary where Nancy and I were studying here in Chicago. 
to do graduate work before taking on the work of heading up the Missouri Synod Missions for a number of years. And he got me a scholarship to go to the Summer Institute of Linguistics at the University of Oklahoma to get started as a Bible translator. I mentioned this because Merrill Clark is here. He was a missionary in Papua New Guinea too. <laughs> well, we were assigned to work in Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast, one of the French-speaking countries in West Africa, where we lived uh, most of our time in Africa. We also lived for a number of years in Mali. Uh, back in the late 70s, I was the field director for our work in uh, four countries. I started the work in Mali, and uh, we enjoyed very much working in Africa. We were commissioned in June 1972. In fact, at the end of June, we're going to have a little uh, anniversary ceremony at St. John Lutheran in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, where my father was pastor at the time. I'm supported by a bunch of churches, all the St. John, one in Juliet and here. And, uh, anyway, you see how beautiful we were back in 1972. <laughs> we, got to, we had to go first to England. I taught linguistics for two summers. We went to France for a year to learn French. Our daughter Elizabeth was born there in February 73. And in November 73, we arrived in Ivory Coast. Our Canadian director and his secretary at the time didn't want us to stay too much in the big city and get spoiled. Ten days, we had bought a couple beds, a table chair, a bottle gas stove, some supplies, and they dropped us off in the village ten days later to get started. <laughs> and uh, we rented an apartment for a few years from a man named Mr. Brook Kaja. He became our village father, adopted us into his big family. He helped us to build a very nice concrete block aluminum house. This is the way many of the houses in this village are built nowadays. We had electricity because we were near a hydroelectric dam, but no running water. We had walking water from a nearby well and a lot of water dripping off the roof. We had a lot of rain there. Now, the Ani language is in the southeastern part of Ivory Coast, spills over into Ghana to that 12 dialects altogether, each one an independent kingdom. Over a million people speaking the language at the time. The area is roughly the same size as the country of Switzerland. In terms of Illinois, it would be from Wisconsin border down to Peoria and from Chicago all the way to Quad Cities. Big area, and it's all tropical jungle, lots of hills, very difficult to get around, only a few roads. We started in the Sanvi dialect, right where the A is. That's where our village of Suba is located, right down here. About a couple-hour drive from the major capital city, Abidjan. Over the years, we found out that these 12 dialects were actually five languages. We need five translations. We've got three New Testaments done now. Uh, we're starting work in the, the last group, which is a Muslim group up in the north. Some of these people went off to Ghana, Togo, as mercenaries in a war in 1750. They just got their New Testament, thanks to the Holmans, another LBT couple over there. As we started our work with the Ainese, some of the neighboring languages from Ghana and Ivory Coast came and said, oh, can you help us too? So all together, we worked with 10 languages, getting them started in literacy and Bible translation. Now we have two complete Bibles and three New Testaments already in those groups. The main city, Abidjan, is right along the beach. They have beautiful ivory-colored white Sandy beaches. It gets the name, though, Ivory Coast from the elephant tusk that they exchanged. The main city, Abidjan, is built on freshwater lagoons just behind the, the sea coast. About four and a half million people there today. The ceremonial capital, though, is in the middle of the country in Yamasuko, the hometown of the first president, Hufwe Buanyi. And he built this magnificent church. It's the biggest church in the world. He built this for his funeral. It's based on the design of St. Peter's in Roma, but bigger. 
You can't imagine how, how huge that is. The main uh, business of Ivory Coast is agriculture, and their number one product is cocoa. They want you to eat more chocolate. Where we lived in the south, we had lots of tropical fruit, pineapples. We, had, we lived in Banana Village, mangoes. Up in the north, they grow cotton. The main food there is manioc. It's just a starchy tuber, like a huge potato. The leaves are very good to eat, too. The women do all the food production with just a little handhold. It's a lot of hard work. You notice they carry everything on top of their head. The women can sell their excess produce, and they can keep the money. This is the local meat market. You've got to get there early before the flies eat it all. The favorite food is they boil up that manioc and some plantain banana, pound it in a big mortar until it becomes a nice smooth ball. It looks like a lump of dough. You pinch off that nice sweet food, dip it in your gravy made out of red palm oil with uh, uh, eggplant and hot peppers, a little bit of meat or fish. It's a wonderful meal. When we arrived, the majority of the Ainis were still in their traditional African religion, worshiping the spirits that inhabited some of the rivers and hills and trees of the area. In the courtyards, I have a little sacred tree like this. They cut off and whitewash it, put out a bowl of food for the bush spirit to help protect them from evil spirits. They're very superstitious. They believe that when you die, it's one of your neighbors that's killed you by jealousy. They carry the casket around until it points to the person that killed you. And that person is put under sanctions for several years. Most of the traditional practitioners uh, who are serious about this are called komia. Uh, they're mostly women who are illiterate, a few men, but it's dying out. Christianity is not quite the majority yet, but almost, in just the last 40 years. The head of the traditional religion are the kings. Each dialect has a paramount chief, and then each village has a king as well. This is our Asuba king. The king doesn't actually do the speaking. He has a spokesman who carries this royal uh, staff or cane with a gold symbol on top who does the speaking. We use that term for the word prophet, for God's spokesman. God doesn't speak to us directly. He speaks to us through these prophets. They're the royal spokesmen. Here they were getting ready for a ceremony of inducting a new king or a new prince. His name was Michael Jackson. He was on a tour of Africa in 1992, and uh, Ivory Coast is very proud of our I need group. We're one of the few kingdoms left in, in Africa, and they brought him out and made him an honorary chief. He's our chief from Asuba who presided at the ceremony. When he died, they had to replace him. Fortunately, another Jackson happened to be visiting at that time. His name was Reverend Jesse Jackson. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get an audience with him because he's the head of the traditional religion. He's got to help us with our Bible translation work now. Here's our alphabet. We had to invent even a word for alphabet. We called it ABCD, the ABCD. Our first book was a hymnal and liturgy. We worked with some Methodists there. They loved to sing. They had translated orally from a neighboring language in Ghana about 75 hymns. The translations were awful. We had to do a lot of work to redo it and make it fit the notes. But they loved to sing, and that book has motivated them to learn how to read and write. Two of our language helpers, uh, Joseph and Jacob, also organized the first Sunday school. I got the government involved in a bilingual literacy program. This is our primer to learn the alphabet and uh, numeracy course. I've developed an arithmetic course that was adapted in about six different countries, French-speaking countries, for dozens of languages. 
We also worked with the American Peace Corps. They have sent workers in our area to do basic health education. We made a number of books for them. This one is how to uh, treat children with uh, diarrhea. The people would not give children any hydration, any water, because that, they thought it would make more diarrhea. Wrong! You've got to hydrate the kids to save their lives. This is a story about little Kasi here. It says, Kasi akunuletu. Means Kasi's insides are letting loose. <laughs> so here's now uh, 1975. This was the team of Ani people that taught us the language. Uh, Mr. Atuba here became the first Roman Catholic priest, and uh, Jacob, our, one of our main helpers, became the first Protestant pastor as a result of working with us. By 1985, all of our five children were born. Our oldest, Elizabeth, in France, the three boys, David, Paul, and Martin, in Ivory Coast, and our youngest daughter, Mary, was born in Hinsdale, Illinois. Here's Mary with our house helper, Emilienne, who taught us much of the culture of the language and also made wonderful Ani food for us. This was in the middle 90s. Our kids were starting to go off to college. They all went to Seattle, where my sister and brother-in-law took care of them at the University of Washington. Working with uh, these 10 different languages, we had lots of people coming. So we eventually built a 24-bed dormitory, classroom, dining hall, kitchen, and a big meeting room. This is a, over 200 young people at a summer Bible camp we had there. In the classroom, I trained over 20 preachers for the Protestant church, a number of Catholic catechists. And by training them for their, their lessons for the Sunday, we would print them out by computer, have, train them how to do the public reading and prepare their sermons. They helped us to, to test the translation. Our main translator was Aka Albert. And when we did the typesetting here in Dallas, I brought him to St. John's. I don't know if some of you remember that. And uh, he sang uh, several original Aini hymns that he composed. He was very good at writing hymns. We dedicated the New Testament in 1998. The uh, ceremony was presided by the wife of the president of Ivory Coast at the time, who was from our dialect, Madame Bidier. And we had the, the fellow I trained as the first preacher in the Soba. He read the Bible at the ceremony. He had never been to school. He said, now you watch. I have learned to read and write my language. And he read beautifully. They gave him a standing ovation. He became the dean of all the preachers in the area. And a few years ago, he became the first Christian king. The village he's from, they're all Christians now. We also had a ministry with FM radio in our area, thanks to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, they let us, uh, they put programs on in French. They asked us to do the programs in the local Ani language. We also uh, recorded there the Jesus film. This is the Gospel of Luke made into a wonderful video. And you can see that for free on the internet if you look it up, Jesus film, look for the Ani language. Nancy homeschooled our kids for the primary years, and then we put them in a Christian boarding school in the middle of the country in a town called the second biggest city, Boake. It's called International Christian Academy. Uh, it's there that our mission set up our national training center, and I was in charge of training programs for literacy and Bible translation there for several years until 2002, and a civil war broke out right in our city, in fact, in our neighborhood. We had to be evacuated by a French army group that was in the country and arranged a ceasefire to get us out. We moved up to Bamako, Mali for several years. And during that time, I've, I flew back and forth between Mali and Ivory Coast to keep the work going in Ivory Coast. And last year in 2011, after a contested election, there was another little civil war going on that's kind of ended now. 
This is our headquarters in uh, Abidjan. We lived there for three years when I was field director, and I would go back and forth, uh, work there with checking translations, running workshops, and mentoring my Timothys. These are two of my best Timothys, uh, Yegbe Antoine and uh, Watara Mathieu. They both have master's degrees in linguistics and Bible translation now, and they are taking over most of the work of uh, consulting now uh, that I used to do all by myself. In Bamako, Mali, we have a big headquarters, and uh, for, from 2002 on, I was living there and doing work with the languages in Mali. Many of them uh, are Muslim groups, and we have Muslim translators, and in the process, they're becoming Christians. A highlight of our time in Mali was visiting Timbuktu. How many of you heard of Timbuktu? The end of the earth, Right? We were there for the dedication of the Tamashek New Testament. The gospel has symbolically reached the end of the earth, and we are witnesses, and here it is. You can take a look at it after a while. It's a Muslim capital, but it's also, they had a little Baptist church there. The main translator, Ibrahim Ag Muhammad, went to England to become a pastor and went to our Summer Institute of Linguistics so he could learn how to translate the Bible for his people. There he met his wife, the first member of Wycliffe Poland, her name is Gosha, and their project was supported by churches in Poland. Here we are at the dedication. Unfortunately, the Tuaregs have just revolted against the government. They've set up an independent country called Azawad, and they've destroyed that church and chased all the Christians out of the north. Uh, their movement is being uh, aided by Al-Qaeda elements. Well, after 2,000 years almost, we discovered what all nations meant. How many languages are in the world? 6,909, latest count. There's where they're located, mostly in Africa and Asia. In 2,000 years, almost all of the Bible translation was done in the last 100 years. Up to the Reformation, only 30 languages in Europe and the Middle East had any Bible. It's all happening now in the modern missionary era. And from 2000 up until 2025, it's our goal to reach the last couple of thousand languages that need to have the Bible. Right now, there's 471 languages that have a complete Bible. Those are all the big languages, supposedly spoken by 4.8 billion people in the world out of 6.8. 1,200 New Testaments are available. 1,000 languages have at least one book of the Bible. Wycliffe is currently working in 1,500 languages and over 100 languages, 7,000 missionaries. We have 100 national organizations in 60 countries recruiting and sending missionaries. Over 780 New Testaments finished, 27 Bibles. LBT started in 1942. Wycliffe started in 1942, uh, LBT in 1964. And LBT now has 72 missionaries, 18 staff working in 15 countries, 51 languages. We need many more Lutherans to get involved in this. We're a small drop in the bucket. We've got to live up to the reputation of Martin Luther, one of the greatest translators of all time. Pray for our young people to get this vision. We need many more Lutheran translators to get involved. 2,040 languages still to go. There's where they are, mostly in Africa, Asia, and the Pacific. We're still working, even though I had to come home at the end of 2008 for a health problem. We work now by what's called remote, using email and Skype. The fellow in my screen on my 
computer there is this fellow here, Nyalik Pata, over in Abidjan Ivory Coast. He now has his master's degree in linguistics and Bible translation. I help teach him. And uh, he's training other Bible translators for other languages in Ivory Coast. And we work by Skype. I check translations. have to get up at 2 in the morning sometimes because there's six hours difference. Nancy does the bookkeeping. She doesn't have to get up early because they just sent her the, all the uh, receipts and things. She puts them on the spreadsheets and sends them off to our Nairobi office. So we're working full-time for Ivory Coast right here in West Chicago. We're also doing a lot of recruitment for Wycliffe and Lutheran Bible translators. Last June, this was a group we had uh, for our Total It Up program in Elgin. Uh, it means Taste of Translation and Linguistics. And this summer, from June 4th through 8th, pray for us, we'll have another group like this. Uh, we have several language helpers from the Zokam language of Burba that are helping us and working with them. We're going to learn a little bit of their language as part of the the process of learning about Bible translation and linguistics. June 4th through 8th, pray for us. And another part of our work is raising support. As faith missionaries, we, we are charged to go out and get a lot of people to join us as prayer partners and financial partners. And uh, we have a number of churches in Illinois and Wisconsin supporting us. It was 21 years ago that we arrived in Wheaton. It was our third furlough. We found housing at the missionary furlough homes over on 111 uh, President Street. And we did three furloughs here in Wheaton. And the first uh, Sunday, and it was in the summer of 71, uh, 1991, excuse me, uh, we walked to the nearest Lutheran church, which was St. John's. And uh, at the end of the service, a couple sitting in the pew right behind us tapped us on the shoulder and said, are you the Burmeisters? We didn't know anybody at this church. It was Ken and Catherine uh, List. They had been heard about us through LBT. They had been praying for us and supporting us for several years. We had never met them. And they said, you, you don't have to look for another church. This will be your home church. And so we've been here ever since. <laughs> we do uh, ask your prayers for us. Uh, we continue, plan to continue working. As long as the Lord gives us health and strength, there's much to do. And they still want us to keep helping and training people over there in Ivory Coast. Uh, Nancy may be making some trips out there. I hope to make one more trip out there if I can. And we thank you very much, as we say in the Ani language. Ichambo, dadamo. Thank you for all you've done to help us in the past. Thank you very, very much for all you're doing to help us now. If you have any questions, come and talk with us. We have prayer bulletins we make available by email or by U.S. Postal Mail. If you're interested, there's a concern up for our prayer letters. Here's the latest one with a picture of Pentecost on it. Any questions? I think we're... Getting close to our time. Okay. Yes. When you start a new translation, yeah. what's the first book of the Bible that you translate? Well, uh, the first two years we have to learn a language, usually. <laughs> have to invent an alphabet, teach people to read and write. But usually the first book that's often the, the beginning is the Gospel of Mark because it's short, it's narrative, relatively easy. There's no easy book in the Bible, though. but... It's, it's one of the shorter and easier ones. And uh, there's a handbook written by the Bible Society and lots of helps on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we usually do the Gospels and Acts early on. Uh, we, in Muslim countries, we usually start with Genesis and Exodus, uh, Old Testament books. We try to do them early in, in all of our projects because that's the foundation for understanding the Gospels. You've got to know who Moses was, etc. And so uh, those are the narratives. 
uh, we'll kind of leave for the end the difficult prophets and poetry books. Poetry is much more difficult to translate. I'm helping the, one of my Timothys. He's about to finish the complete Bible. The last three books we'll be checking this summer and next summer will be Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are some of the, the more difficult ones. Okay, any other questions? Yes. Yes. That's our whole goal is to work ourselves out of a job. Yes, to, to train local, two Timothy two two. As, as Paul trained Timothy, he told him find capable people, train them, capable to train others. You got to multiply yourself. That's the number one job of a Christian worker. Multiply yourself. Our whole administration in Ivory Coast now we don't we only have one expatriate left in the country. She's teaching Greek at the seminary at our master's degree program. All the administration are now Evarians. We've trained them as administrators as well as consultants and trainers. But we still have a lot of languages to do, so they still need a lot of training and help, and they keep calling, I mean, help all the time. So we have plenty to do yet. Uh, many of our countries now are completely nationalized, particularly in the English-speaking countries, not so much in the French countries. They're not too uh, worried about that. Mm-hmm. Do we use the Lutheran Bible? Well, uh, in general, we, we, we work with all of the Christians that are in the area. I was, Ivory Coast is mostly Southern, Ivory Coast is mostly Roman Catholic. Uh, today, uh, the country is majority Muslim. They've taken, the Muslims have taken over the country. Uh, I worked with some Methodists, Assemblies of God, some Pentecostals. Finally, after many years, the Missouri Synod finally sent some missionaries. I helped train one of their missionaries. It is Ron Mudge. He's now teaching up at Mechlin. He's teaching Greek. But uh, we finally got some Lutherans that work in the western part of Ivory Coast. So the Bible is not Lutheran No, we don't, we don't make a Bible for a denomination. We make a Bible for all the, the Christians. We don't need to have five Bibles. We need to get one because these languages don't have any. We're spoiled in America. We've got all kinds of... We've got a wonderful Lutheran study Bible. You should all buy it. It's very good. But uh, we, have, we have almost too many translations. Most languages of the, of the world, there's still 4,000 languages without even one translation. So when we work, we try to get all the Christian... I, I was able to bring together Catholics, Assemblies of God, and others. They never spoke to each other before I got there. We got them all working together on the Bible because they saw the importance of having one good Bible. Yes. Do you have to teach the people Hebrew and actually or Greek and actually translate it from the original language, or are they translating from an English translation? Uh, well, we use French as kind of our uh, background. We have a number of French translations that are very good, very up to date, and so they, when we train them, uh, depends on what level they're at. When I started, I had several young fellows who had roughly about ninth grade education in French. They didn't know Greek and Hebrew. So I did the exegesis, taught them some Greek and Hebrew. Now we're, we're raising up the level. Many of the people I'm working with now, we've got them into seminaries. They're getting their Greek and Hebrew. They're, they're getting master's degree. We even have a doctoral degree in Kenya for Bible translation linguistics. Uh, the Lord is raising up the level. Our job is to train them. And biblical language is important if we can do it. Well, and I, need, I, had to, I had to assure the Greek and the Hebrew. I, I would feed them the exegesis. 
They would look at all their French versions to get some ideas as well. And together as a team, it's a teamwork. It's not one person doing it. It's always a teamwork. And so in every project, we have somebody who provides the exegetical input. It might be a national. It might be a foreigner. Uh, as we do that, yeah, I thought, I'm a seminary guy. I thought I knew my Bible very well. But when you work in another language, another culture, they ask completely different questions that you could never think of. And you learn your whole Bible all over again. It's, it's a wonderful process. And it's very difficult to find all those key words in the language. We, we found some, one of our helpers became one of the first pastors, and he helped us to discover some of the key words to translate John 3.16. God loved the world so much. He said, that whoever believes in, in his unique son should not be killed by God's sickbe. It means God's wrath, his anger. This is a very rare word. Somebody who's under their father's sick day for offending a father is under a black cloud and it'll kill him. He has to get pardoned. How do you get pardoned? He has to get somebody from the royal class to go and intercede for him, not just anybody. And then to f- complete the reconciliation, they have to sacrifice a sheep and, and eat it together in communion. I said, wait a minute, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And we, we, we used it in preaching and, and it, it revolutionized the preaching and the churches started to grow. We came, there were five Methodist churches, about a dozen Catholic churches. Today there's 65 Catholic churches, about 30 Methodist churches, several other denominations now. The church has taken off now that they get the word in a, in a language that they can understand. Some of them, can, the young people can use French now, but older people can't. A lot of work, Bible training, but it's, it's the most passionate work you can imagine. And it takes all these different skills, not only linguistics, but also knowing the Bible, all the human relations of building a team and finding the, fi- the finances. That Bible school I built was financed by a Lutheran church in Stuttgart, Germany. I had to hunt around to find them. <laughs> they sent $25,000. It was cheap to build those buildings over there. I was the architect and guided the, the building. That's one of my hobbies. <laughs> I built my house too. Any other questions? I think our time is up. Thank you very much. If you'd like to get our prayer letter, come on up and you can get a copy and sign up if you like. The bookmarks are yours. Take a bookmark. That's a gift from LBT. Take your bookmarks. (laughs) 